Hi everyone and welcome to the Supporting Champions podcast. My name is Steve Ingham. The idea behind these podcasts is to find a better way of us being able to create performance. So we're interested in understanding ourselves, our teams and culture and supporting other people along the way. And we're also interested in the science behind high performance as well as the art of how we actually go about delivering it. And then asking, of course, the questions about why do we do what we do? We're keen to explore all the key areas, what are the determining factors of high performance? Get to know some of the people along the way who've been responsible for driving high performance. And we'll be trying to learn the lessons. How can we all develop so that where we're looking back over our lives, that we can be content with what we've achieved but also be proud about the way that we've done it. You can subscribe on YouTube, iTunes and supportingchampions.co.uk to get these insights straight to your inbox. So this is the fourth episode of our podcast and it was a real privilege to spend some time with Vern Gambetta. It was great to just to hear how passionate and perceptive he was reflecting on his career the people that were influential throughout his time, the philosophies that have guided him through his career, but he also throws down a number of challenges for us to to be smarter about how we're creating performance. And he also looks forward to some of the opportunities ahead. If you're listening along, you'll hear actually some tapping, some tapping noises in the background. And, uh, and I'd like to tell you that it was Vern tapping away on the table that we were sat at. And um, so don't be distracted by it. But every time you do hear it, you'll know just how expressive and passionate Vern's getting about some of the ideas that he's got and some of the thoughts that, that he's really committed to. I'm going to share some take-home messages at the end of this podcast, but we'd love to hear if you've got any comments or thoughts, anything that's particularly resonated with you. We'd love you to put those in the comments section on, on iTunes or, or YouTube. So without further ado, we're going to dive straight in. So hi, everyone, and welcome to Supporting Champions. Today, I am joined by Vern Gambetta. Uh, now, I, I'm not sure where to start. I'm not going to try and introduce your job title. I think I'm just going to go with guru or legend. Which which mm-hmm. one should I go please, for? Please not guru. And that, <laughs> I, that, I guess in some respects that could be in some societies that's positive. But uh, legend, all the, most of the legends I know are dead. So that's scary too. So uh, I was looking, uh, looking through your CV on, online at Vernon and I was just wondering how many lives you've had how much ground you've covered and how many people you've worked with. Uh, well, I've been, I've been very fortunate. Um, you know, I started, graduated college in 68, and it was, a, it was a watershed year in the world, wasn't it? And it was a watershed year in sport with the 68 Olympic Games. And I was very young. I, was, I started, started teaching when I was three years old, two and a half years older than my students and my athletes. I was 21. Uh, started school early, so I got a I got a jump start, I mm. guess that way uh, from chronological age, and uh, some of it was by design, um, uh, you know, in terms of where I went to get my masters, and uh, and then some of it was the good fortune of living um, in Southern California, in California being um, uh, a hotbed for amateur sports at the time and and athletics which was my first interest and uh so uh you know i think i think that led in this kind of one thing led to another you know you meet people and um having starting in athletics uh i played american 
football or I didn't play very much, but uh, and then got into athletics after school and com- after college and competed in decathlon. Wasn't mm-hmm. my first decathlon score was about equivalent of Ashton Eaton's first day, just so everybody <laughs> understands that I wasn't quite that. But I got to train with um, some, you know, world record holders, future Olympic champions, and that. Mm-hmm. So I got to see right away, like what this is about, okay. you know. And then so I would teach. Uh, 11, 12, 13, 14 year olds and coach them and then go out to the track and be with world-class athletes, you know, so what a, what a tremendous learning environment, you know, to be in. So I got to a lot of learn by practice. And then I quickly figured out that there was big holes. My, my was a social science major with, um, emphasis in Latin American history and a coaching minor, which I was very fortunate, but I realized that I needed to learn more about exercise physiology. I needed to learn more about biomechanics, sports, psych, motor learning and that. So that led me to a lot of self-education and seeking out the experts, you know, that would indulge me. You know, I was really lucky that some top names in the field would answer my dumb questions, you know, so. Oh, wow. So your early teaching and athletic performance career, you were rubbing shoulders with some people that you could steal their ideas. You could see the common trends between them. Sure, Um, sure. Yeah. Okay, so that's that's an interesting concept already. And so, and how did you get into sport in the first place? Where from well, as a young child? Yeah, as as a youngster, uh, I mean, you know, in, in <laughs> growing up in the fifties and where we grew up, it was you played a lot. It was you know free play, and uh, my brother was a great athlete, and I emulated him, and uh, I played football, basketball. I didn't play baseball. I was afraid of the ball, which mm. be like. So that's not very good if you're playing baseball or cricket. Mm-hmm. Um, and then ran track in um, in high school. And uh, right away, as soon as I got to high school, um, I was intrigued by coaching. My basketball coach in high school is still one of the best coaches I've ever been around. And he was a terrific teacher, uh, a history teacher. Uh, he'd been a bomber pilot in World War II. And a lot, as a lot of the coaches that were in my influences had been World War II veterans and military veterans, and I'm not, you know, I, I never went in the military or anything, but, but they, they had a real, back, I now know, background in pedagogy. He was a terrific teacher. He didn't, he taught basketball. He didn't coach basketball. Hmm. So um, he really got me, uh, got me interested in coaching. And then when I was playing football in college, during the summer, I would come back and help him coach basketball during the summer. Mm-hmm. And I'd go go to his house and we'd talk about, you know, and so, um, yeah, it was just it was just part of growing up, I mm-hmm. guess, where we where we grew up was, you know, sport was just part of it. My parents were immigrants and didn't really understand sport. You know, they worked hard 12 hour days. It wasn't. And uh, to enable us, my brother and I, my brother's quite a bit older, he's t- uh, 14 years older than me, but to be able to indulge this. And my, my, my parents really never, my dad never really understood, even to the month before he died, what I did um, 
how, how I could make a living dressed in shorts and that and not, you know, not do real work. You know? so. My parents still think I'm a PE teacher that goes to the Olympics every now and again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, that's uh, interesting. But uh, so, So you yeah. had some early role models for your brother, looking up to your brother as, uh, uh, as a, a competitive athlete, but also uh, teachers that can mm -hmm. inspire you mm -hmm. about how you can influence mm -hmm. others. Mm -hmm. and, uh, the importance of role models sounds very strong in your early Role life. models are incredibly strong. First clinic I ever went to, track clinic I ever went to, I was student, senior at Fresno State, went to Fresno State College, which I was incredibly lucky to go to. The state colleges in California at that time, their mission was teaching, to, to prepare teachers, mm -hmm. just like a lot of the schools here in England were at the same time. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the head track coach was a guy named Dutch Warmerdam, who was the first man to ever vault 15 feet. Mm. And uh, but um, his assistant coach was a, who's still alive, and I uh, revere highly uh, was Red Estes, who had uh, been um, on a track team at University of Oregon under Bill Bowerman. And, but mm. he was a discus thrower, and they decided to have a, a track and field clinic, and it was. Um, uh, first week of second semester, which would have been first last week in January, I will never forget. And he brought Bill Bowerman in and uh, the assistant coach at uh, Ken Shannon, who went on to be a famous coach at University of Washington. And Bowerman spoke that first night about developing the four-minute miler. Mm. And we, I walked outside and I said, I want to be like that guy. Okay. And I mean, what a, what a model! And uh, I, it became a joke that I was stalking Bill Bowerman over the next few years because if there was a, if he spoke anywhere where I could get to, yeah. I would go. And then the second clinic I went to, I was telling the coaches last night, um, my first. Uh, what, gosh, I'm trying to remember. Would would have been about a year and a half later. Uh, 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 Tom Teles spoke, and um, Arnie Nitro, who, mm. if you know athletics coaching he was uh, he was a um, Norwegian coach who coached Tejer Peterson who was the first man to throw 300 feet whatever metric equivalent that is 90 some meters in the uh, in the javelin but you know 300 feet as a as an imperial measure was a big breakthrough but he also coached um, great steeplechasers and distance runners and to les you know and Bowerman did too Bowerman didn't just coach distance runners so right away the influence was to be a generalist not be a specialist coach not be a sprint coach not be a distance coach so I, I think you know you sent me so a couple of questions in advance and 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 that yesterday in the conversations here with the coaches that came up I I uh, and that's why I, I did decathlon. I figured the fastest way to learn how to be a track coach is to do yeah. 10 events, <laughs> you know, too. And, and I, I mean, I, I think today, if I were in school today, that probably they'd have me in a special needs class because I, I, I mean, an hour and a half into the first grade, I stood up on my desk and started yelling because I just couldn't sit in the, sit in the desk, you know, hold my attention yeah. for that long, you know. And so the nature of being able to go from a sprint to a jump to a throw and make relationships between yeah. those I think was fascinated me and it does today I'm here to speak at a throws conference but I'm not going to talk very much about throws I'm going to talk about dance I'm going to talk about yeah. you know all these other things that impact on being a better thrower that's, you know, that's so. that term generalist is almost seen as a derogatory term now it's it certainly is in our society where you 
you know, you start as a generalist just to get going, that's fine, and then you specialise more and more and more, and yep. that's your unique right, right. offering to the yep. world. Um, certainly in academic circles. Absolutely. They are, they are discouraged from splashing about. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But increasingly at performance, you you have to get more and more information from varying different fields mm-hmm. and have to mm-hmm. be able to communicate mm-hmm. in different mm-hmm. ways. And, and, and to me... Um, this is a big issue today in sport is the decline of the generalist mm. and I, I think where we we have such uber specialization that we've lost sight of relationships between disciplines mm. uh, understanding just sort of fundamental movements and under like my first message to the throws coaches is then the next week you need to spend take an hour to take um, a sprint coach to 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 um, uh, to lunch, mm. take a distance coach to lunch, and take a jumps coach to lunch, because mm. you can get so narrow and you know, and just think that what you're doing is the be all end all. I mean, mm. I'm doing a lot with swimming now. People say, "What, what do you, you know?" No, I, I mean, it's been wonderful. Like the last 15 years, it's been a really cool journey. I've taken a lot of the things. It's still the human body. Yeah. You know, and, and so what do we have to do? What do we, There's a lot of similarities in the training between middle distance and, and mm. distance there, but in terms of the biomechanics and what do we have to do to make the, the body more streamlined? Mm. So if you have to really rethink, you know, dry land training. So it's been a, to me, I, I, can't, I can't think of a better way to do it. You know, I know mm. I'm biased, but I say, people say, what's your specialty? I'm a specialist in being a generalist. You know, make connections. You know, I just got done reading, uh, certainly don't put myself in that category, but uh, Walter Isaacson's book, uh, Leonardo da Vinci. And he was, he was, um, he, he was a consummate generalist, wasn't he? But he was, even in those days, he was looked down upon because he, he, he jumped from project to project yeah, and was, you know, and, and, which I thought was really funny. 500 years ago, you know, we say today, you know, and, and I, I, I still want to get a PhD, but I probably at age 70 won't. But part of the issue was I was accepted into the doctoral program at Stanford when I was getting my master's. I couldn't find a, a narrow focus to get oh, a PhD, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and that's what they wanted me to do. And I go, well, no, I want to connect this, this, and this, yeah. you know, yeah. that's, that's what we have to do. <laughs> Maybe polymath. Maybe we need to uh, specialist. I'm a specialist polymath. <laughs> yeah, a specialist in polymath. Right. <laughs> you right, sit down right. with an athlete and a coach, and and you might the entry point might be one particular question, and then and then you're off into Alice in Wonderland, looking at twenty different Absolutely. topics. Or oh, what about Absolutely. this? What about that? Or bringing different interconnections. Yeah. Um, and that's where innovation really happens, yeah. of bringing yeah. in diverse yeah. fields. Well, I thought that was really interesting. I could read between the lines in your book in terms of what you were doing and how you, how you have to learn those, learn those sports, but then you could bring disparate sort of elements in and, and, and help those coaches and help those athletes. And that's what this is all about. At the end of the day, you know, we're, we're backstage. Mm. The spotlight is on the athlete, and we do everything that we can that's that's clearly, you know, legal. Mm. Uh, you know, there's a lot yeah. of people that go in the gray shade of gray area to, to help do what make the athlete better. Mm. You know, like I know you have, you did a lot with rowing, but I've tried to. Um, they just had the World Rowing Championships in mm. Sarasota three mm. a month ago, right after the hurricane. <laughs> mm. uh, but um, 
I, I've I've really uh, had a couple of my swim coaches uh, look into uh, rowing rowing training and that I think I said I think you guys need to look at this you know as a similar kind of uh, not well it, it happens in water but okay you look at some volumes you can look at some things and I think you can draw some interesting conclusions for mm-hmm. for some of your um, uh, you know your longer swimmers and that you mm-hmm. know too so got to go outside your sport yeah, and that, that um, strikes me that you're I don't know whether it comes comes naturally or whether you have to work at it but as you become more experienced through your career that you you still maintain a, an open-mindedness like a naivety to to the challenge in front of you and, uh, and not presupposing that you've got the solution before they've even finished well, their question. Nice of you to say that, but uh, the biggest mistakes that I've made have been when I when I presuppose that I had to, I, you know, I made assumptions. Head in your hands there, Vern, you've got a... Well, I, a, a baseball is response. a great example. I just go, well, yeah. that's, you know, I just have to take javelin training and Right. And so I blew, you know, nine years working in that sport. Probably the first two years weren't wasted, but I I didn't do a good enough job of adapting and really understanding some of the differences. You know, I was looking for similarities and not looking enough okay. for some of the differences, you know. And so I think you've got to be really, you know, rugby and American football. Mm. Uh, you know, it's it's easy to get to look at the similarities, but there's some really, really strong differences that, you know, it, it's, you're not trying to seek out contact in rugby, you know, mm-hmm. or collisions, you're, you know, or, and you can block and, and you know, and right. those things, and, and you're on the field for 80 minutes, you're not, you don't get to go rest. <laughs> mm. So, okay, so that's a valuable lesson that you've had to learn mid-career in many ways that you mm-hmm. you've got a level of experience it sounds as though and and competence and your solutions are being becoming faster and you you've rolled that out to a sport because you think it's going to be successful mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. you're mm-hmm. you've had having to undo that perspective mm-hmm. and philosophy mm-hmm. in many ways right 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 yeah. right and i think too um one of my swim coaches the other day we're talking about this brilliant guy fats just got a message from him today mm-hmm. here and uh, we're talking about what do we have to do dry land wise because we have a, we have several generations now of young athletes, young people who have basically negligible we'll, we'll give them credit negligible uh, physical literacy, fundamental movement skills. Mm. And uh, we, we were talking about we we're talking about dance. His mother's a, a dance teacher. We're talking about um, some of the various Tai Chi, Capoeira, karate. We were talking. What else? There was, a, and I was saying, you know, you know, we need to, and and kind of one of my goals over the next eighteen months, is to find somebody in each of those fields that will understand that I'm not trying to get a black belt, that I'm not that I can sit down with and look at the disciplines of dance, not just. I was fortunate when I was in grad school at Stanford that there was a dance master's program, mm. and that that opened my eyes a little bit. But I was also too <clears throat> inhibited as a twenty three or 24 year old to to put tights on and do that in those days you know it wouldn't bother me now but yeah. as an old man but I, but I, I all of those have commonalities in of rhythm and tempo and ranges of motion and that that I think if we could put that together in little kind of fun routines 
you know, with that that not just kids, big kids, the world class athletes would yeah. use to 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 warm up. We've already done some of that with with yoga. We, the kids call it animal routines because you know it's it's uh, and and I mean literally at the national championships, uh, one of the teams that won, one of the teams I work with that run, they were doing animal series behind the blocks right. before they got on it because, and, and the coach says, why are you doing it there? And he says, because the, the, the youngster who's really a good up and coming swimmer, it makes me feel good. Well, hello, isn't, oh, okay. I mean, isn't wow. that what, I mean, it makes me feel good when I, you know, so, uh, mm. so I, I think there's so much left on the table, Steve, that, that we, you know, we have, we haven't even come close because my thing now is I'm looking at training sessions and I'm saying, how can we get more out of the same time? We're not going to get more time in mm. today's world. And plus, we don't, that was, a, we, we, we went down that rabbit hole of three hour and four hour sessions or three sessions <laughs> a day. How can we get more out of what we do? And it's, it's being, um, a lot of that is better teaching, better mm. organization, but a lot of it is understanding how we make one segment of practice or, 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 or training flow into the next and compatible. And mm. so it's, it's kind of interesting. I, I just think there's, mm. we, we're on the cusp of so many exciting things. You know, I just hope I can keep at it for a while and do that. That, that's, that lesson's probably a lesson for us all in many ways of getting more out of our efforts in a limited space yeah. of time, whether it's yeah. our own productivity yes. or working Precisely. in increasing pressures in different environments. Um, and and linking that back to to what you were just saying there about the uh, the, the sorts of in- exercises that people now starting to reach to that are whole body they are multidirectional there's there's holistic aspect to that um, I'm just imagining how you would almost if you had a, a completely blank sheet of paper how you're able to design um, or, or whether it be quite spontaneous, design somebody's journey f- from being a young athlete all the mm, way through mm, to being a senior athlete. Mm. Because often when you get them as senior athletes, you end up having to include, we need to do some yoga because of this reason, yeah, or breathing training, it. or um, correcting some yeah, mistakes. Yeah, um, yeah, it'd be fun. It'd be fun. I don't know if I have the time to do it. <laughs> but to start with a, that's what we need to do, to start with a, a clean slate and give the athlete, first of all, a, a good wide range of fundamental movement skills. Yeah. So we, so we, they, they get a, a physical robustness because the other thing that's alarming me at the higher levels of sport today is the, is, is the, the amount of injuries that we're having and the severity of injuries. Mm. And I really believe a lot of it is due to the fact that we're getting physically illiterate Athletes, they're very, very um, uh, proficient in a narrow range, okay. and uh, and so if you if we started with a with a blank slate, you know that that to me is the key. Just run, jump, throw, reach, bend, you mm-hmm. know that um, coupled with some loose, unstructured free free play, and then some structured free play. We're we're structured in the sense that. Here's here's uh, an area that you know, go play, and yeah. they have to climb and you know do things like that. Um, and it it would uh, and 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 I, I my sense of it is I've been thinking a lot about this. A lot of that I would probably never let go away. 
I, I think one of the mistakes we make is, oh, you've got, you know, I mean, you've learned the ABCs, you've learned the multiplication tables, you don't have to review them. Mm. No, I think you need to review them because I see in the World Championship and the Olympic Games, I see the fundamental mistakes being made there that cost medals mm. because they haven't kept reviewing that. So um, I, I think it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a magical process in a lot of ways to, to take somebody from the beginning level to the, to the podium. Um, there's a lot of obstacles in the way, isn't there? But mm. I think we unknowingly put a lot of obstacles, and the athletes themselves put a lot of obstacles in the way, mm. um, by not having a clarity of what they're doing and learning, learning their bodies very quickly. Right. I think that's one of the things I was talking to somebody the other day is, one of the responsibilities when you're working with young athletes is to get them to be in tune with their bodies. Mm. You know, I want you to give me honest feedback. That was really hard. That was really easy. Mm. Don't tell me what you think I want to hear, mm. you know. And yeah. when I say, where are you sore, I want to know. You know, are you sore in the belly of the hamstring or are you sore, yeah. you know, on the, behind your knee or something like that? Because mm. then I'll explain, you know, I don't want to go, we don't have a dialogue here, mm. but then I'll modify practice and I'll explain to you why we're doing it, you know, and that. So, so you're describing that. Uh, avoiding early specialization yes. but making sure that you're maintaining a, a level of variety for me the the fact that science in performance has really been effective at saying this is what determines performance so specialize and prioritize this clearly has has been uh, a tool to facilitate performance gain mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. but then not being afraid to say we're prioritizing this but we can add variety mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. unexpected mm -hmm. sessions and movement patterns mm -hmm. to, to develop. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. And, 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 and the hard part of this and then it comes to this, somebody said, well, you know, where did this conflict between art and science of coaching start? I, I don't see it as a conflict. It, it's, it's that um, it, to me, it's hand in glove, right? Mm. And and sometimes the glove doesn't fit. That's the best analogy that I can <laughs> that I can give. And uh, um, I think that what happens sometimes when we when we lean a little too hard toward toward the science, we can tend to be reductionist. So science, by its very nature, mm. wants to measure. And to measure accurately, you have to be reductionist. So you have to look at blood values, and you have to look at certain values in the blood, or you have to look at hydration and not look at hydration in relation to other things, right? And and that's where the coach, working together with somebody like yourself, and communicating and saying, okay, well, Vern, so and so's blood measures are here, and and um, and then. Uh, and then I might ask you some questions and say, well, what about, you know, what about hydration? What about these? And, and we've been doing this. Do you think that could affect that? Mm -hmm. And, and um, Johnny talked to me about making some dietary changes and I didn't check with the, uh, you know, and that, could that be a factor? Yeah. You know, so instead of just saying, oh, you know, here's a solution, we've got to, we put our heads together. And that's where I think I've been really lucky. I mean, I, I've gotten to work with some, at various times, some of, some of the pioneers and you know, and in, in, mm. in some of the what you know, biomech bio, biomechanics, exercise physiology, things like mm. that, and it's been it's that's that's helped make me a better coach 
you know, because they, they'd always say, well, we appreciate your input because you're, you're not letting us, you know, get too caught up in one, you know, mm. one thing and, you know, and that. And I'd say sometimes, no, sometimes you got to insist on that one yeah. thing more, you know, too. So it's good to have that dialogue. So. You're referring to a number of paradoxes in some ways of specializing yeah. and not specializing, generalist as, you, as right. a professional, generalist, but specializing in a certain way specialist generalist is a paradox or exactly um or as you say the art and the science reductionist but being creative and free and subjective Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. i I wonder how much of a skill for a for someone working in performance is to hold some of these tensions and seemingly ambiguities of of how we progress as humans well yeah and and, you know and I, i think in your book i I, Tony Minicello did a great talk at uh, IFAC 2012 after Jessica won the gold medal, and and I got I I didn't know him beforehand. We knew of each other, and just got to talk for about 20 minutes. And I thought, here's a guy that really gets it. You know, his talk mm-hmm. was he 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 said, I'm not a polished. I go, you don't have to be a polished speaker. You're a coach, and he he the essence of what they did came through. You know, and and I I look I look at Harry Merrow coached uh, Ashton Eaton. Mm-hmm. You know, and and uh, you know he he understood the the the, the push pull the tug. Mm-hmm. You know, he I mean he without mentioning names he would not let a particular biomechan biomechanist go near Ashton yeah. because his instincts were which I agree that this guy is barking up the wrong tree and some things yeah. and he's preaching absolutes that aren't absolutes mm. you know and and that's that's hard sometimes for a coach to do you know because yeah. these people are PhDs they're you know they're world renowned and mm. and uh, mm. but you gotta sometimes you have to follow your gut you mm. know and um, and you know the athlete you know hopefully mm. of you know and you know on that so but it paradox par- paradoxical relationships is that's a really good way I haven't thought about it that way that's it's really a, a lot of what it is I'm curious to know how much your role as a coach has changed of working one-to-one with an athlete and it might just be a pairing but increasingly there's a team behind a team and yeah. and that you as a coach it, it demands different things of you as a coach to filter and to manage and to uh, prioritize mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. provide clarity. Mm-hmm. It's, it's mm-hmm. they are management and leadership mm-hmm. skills are huge today. And, and I mean they always were, but in, in in kind of a different way. But if you're talking about if you're talking about at the emerging elite and at the elite level with the with the support staff that we have access to in most situations, mm-hmm. it's it's imperative. And I think this is where it's fallen down. The the I've seen it in the states um, in a lot of the team sports, particularly the team sports. These coaches have no background in teaching. They they weren't teachers. They were former athletes, and they have absolutely no understanding of what science can do and can't do. So some of them put real unrealistic expectations on science because mm. they you know they they buy into the marketing part of it, and I think we're at a real interesting. Point. I don't. I don't know if it's a crisis. Uh, crisis. I don't want to. That sounds pretty melodramatic. But we're at an interesting point in sport where we've got to do a better job of educating the coaches to to be better managers of the resources mm. that they have, and and how to utilize those and be able to call on those at various times. And I feel 
that maybe a lot of the um, expertise that we have when we have these various performance teams should there should be more attention paid to educating the coach than being uh, you know a lot of the young and you said that in you know in in, in your book stop referring to the book then stop, I'm, I'm blushing now <laughs> no but but uh, but it, it it's it's you know you you couldn't wait to get to the athlete yeah and and first thing you have to do is you got to educate the coach and I learned that the hard way in 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 professional baseball once I started educating the coaches we made quantum leaps. Um, I'm keen to pick up on that idea of early specialization and generalizing. We're talking about that in athletics terms, but you then you've moved into the idea of how this might relate to coaches and the professions and mm -hmm. the roles that we serve. Yeah. And um, mm -hmm. I'm keen to, to, to have a think about the sort of lessons that are required of us as professionals in the mm -hmm. future. And, mm -hmm. Um, what are your key insights over the years about what, what's required? For this? <laughs> I, I have a slide for the presentation I'm doing tomorrow here for the Euro coaches where I have a picture of the school where I started teaching and uh, and then I, it comes up and I, it, it said um, general uh, being a generalist was I had to do it there was no option because mm. I had to you know I, I you taught different skills in PE and sport was by season so you 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 have to coach a fall sport and a winter sport and a, yeah. you know and and athletics and um, again with the decline of here in England and in the states of these teacher institutions mm -hmm. that I think that's the source of part of the problem so you, you uh, uh, a coach comes in and we I, I I joked with somebody it used to be that you were an athletics coach. I'll use athletics again. You're an mm. athletics coach. Okay, yeah, like <clears throat> Bill Bowerman or whatever. And then it became, well, you're a distance coach mm. or you're a jumps coach. And and then it became, uh, no, no, you're a horizontal jumps coach. And then you're the vertical, you know, you coach vertical <laughs> or fall. Now I'm joking, no, now you're a triple jump coach. And in fact, we might have somebody that would be the hop phase of the triple jump coach. You know, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that's a being, being a bit facetious. But, yeah. um, and, then, and then what happens right away, you lose the forest for the trees. You know, a lot of people don't know that Petra Menea's coach um, was a really good jumps coach before he was a sprint coach. Right. You know, and you can give all these examples. Now, how can we how can we change that? And and I think it's in I, I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, coach, once once you get outside a, a a university or scholastic environment and you're training coaches, most of them are volunteers, and uh, um, you know they they want to maybe their son or their daughter wants to do long jump, so they want to be a long jump yeah. coach or they want to be a cricket bowler you know, coach the bowlers or something like that. Mm. Um, I, I just think that we, we, we lose a lot when we, when we dig so, get so narrow in terms of relationships of the, of the whole game, you know. Yeah. Some of the best, some of the best, um, well, I mean, look, Mourinho didn't play at a high level. No. Um, Ferguson. Uh, Ferguson didn't play at a high level. I, uh, Man City, uh, uh, he did, you know, he played, but, uh, you know, they, uh, I, I don't, you know, my, my, I have a good colleague, good, really good friend who's the uh, manager of Mexico, and he, he played at a low level, pro, you know, pro level, but the guy was a student of the game of football, of soccer, mm. 
You know, I mean, not not of the offense or defense or the forwards or the midfielders, including the goalkeepers, you know, mm. came to John, you know, a Colombian guy went to John Moore's and started as the fitness coach for Man City and worked up to assistant coach. And now yeah. he's the manager of Mexico, you know, and that. And um, I'm interested to know about your social science background and whether that's kept you grounded in terms of the complexities that you see and, and almost the... Um, the ability mm. to see that, that we exist in a world as opposed to um, as a <laughs> professional, I'm this and, and I don't want to widen. Um, you, you, you can you see know, the bigger, bigger picture. Yeah, I haven't really thought of it that way, but I've always fancied myself as a student of history, so which is forced, you know, I always try to find out where things came from. So I guess it, it had really had, mm. I hadn't thought about it that way. Mm. I, I always want to know where did this technique, where did this idea co come from, where did this coach come from, hmm. you know, who taught this particular coach, you know, and that like tactical periodization is the big buzzword today. Yeah. Nothing new. <laughs> I mean, I can I can show you new I've, term, <laughs> huh? New term. Yeah. <laughs> but John Wooden did it. Hmm. Dean Smith did it. Uh, the, every great coach that was successful that I know in team sports in the United States did tactical periodization. Mm. John Wooden spent two hours a day planning a two-hour practice, yeah. you know, and, and so, uh, but but no, I hadn't thought about it that way, yeah, because I, I do tend, personally, I tend to look from a historical perspective, try to see where things mm. have come from, mm. you know, and that, so. So over a long, distinguished career, Vern, and, and um, what are you still now passionate about and championing looking forward? Well, uh, I, um, I'm pa passionate right now about getting better at getting better. I want to get better myself, and I want to help coaches. I'm, I'm more interested in, I'm not interested in sets and reps and exercises and, and that. I'm more interested in how people teach mm -hmm. and how people learn and how we can be more effective, as I said earlier, of, of getting more out of that time without, you know, without taking the fun aspect of it away. and. Um, I think it's there, and I think it's just it's going to be drawing on different people in different fields, mm. you know, and and having to look at what we do differently, mm. you know, which is not easy. But I, I I'm really I'm very excited about this because I, I don't think we've used particularly what we know now about cognitive neuroscience and what we've learned about what now is called skill acquisition because it kind of was over in a you know, in a lab with rats running in a maze, and mm. now we realize that yeah. there's a lot to this stuff. You know, yeah. so very exciting, very exciting times ahead. So, yeah. hope I'm doing. I hope we can do another interview in ten years and yeah. talk about what we did. So, uh, <laughs> and laugh so. at our ideas now. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly, uh, for sure. So well, that's a lovely philosophy to be looking forward with. Is getting better at getting better as a as a way um, to to look forward. Uh, Vern, thank you so much for your insights. It's been an absolute privilege. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's been really fun. Appreciate it. For me, I could take so many lessons away from that discussion with Vern, but some of the key take-homes were the importance of early mentors in shaping your philosophy as teachers first and foremost, the importance of drawing on just diverse areas that can really lead to new ideas being created, the perils of over-specialization and getting too narrow too early and only seeing it through one lens. I loved Vern's philosophy of getting better at getting better.
But as I say, if you've got some take home messages that you've plucked out that particularly resonated with you, then please do share them in the comments section on YouTube or iTunes. If you want to hear more from Vern, you can follow him on Twitter at CoachGambetta or thegainnetwork.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Ingham underscore Steve at support underscore champs. And don't forget to subscribe through iTunes, YouTube or supportingchampions.co.uk. Join us next time when I'll be interviewing psychologist Emily Tiano and discussing her work in the area of mindfulness.